in reverse because, like I say, we're going to get new one next week. And for those of you that are overachievers, it's going to be verse 4, I mean, chapter 4, um, I think it's 6 and 7. Yeah, I think. See, now you're not going to want to start memorizing something and have it be the wrong thing, right? <laughs> What's that? That would be terrible, yeah. Okay. All right. So the very first word in our memory verse is what? Consider. Consider. And so... What does that imply? If somebody says, consider this. Think about it. Think about it. Con you know, consider it. So um, give it some thought. Um, how are you going to view this? What's going on in this situation? And so that's a great word to start our memory verse. So he says, consider it all joy, my brethren and sistren, when, what happens? You encounter various trials not if not if sometime one of these months you might have a little trial or something but when so we can be expecting it he says look be prepared when it happens consider it joy now now that doesn't mean jump up and down and go whoo life is wonderful um, we talked a little bit about joy being that sense of contentment and hope and resting in God's sovereignty so that we know that things may be crazy around us or even within us, you know, the feelings and confusion and all that, but we still know that God is sovereign. We still know that God is good. We still know God is at work, and we still know God isn't finished. So when he says, consider it all joy, my brethren and sistren, when you encounter various trials, knowing what? Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and some of the overachievers went ahead and and learned the next verse because the ultimate the ultimate um, goal is not endurance I mean endurance is a good thing but it's not just I'll tough this out I can last this out and then when it's over like I didn't learn anything I didn't grow I didn't you know made no progress I just toughed it out and so it says then um, the second verse or the third verse, I guess, verse 4 says, And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if God's purpose is to make us more like Christ, um, you've heard of Howard Hendricks. He used to be a um, professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, great, great professor and, and teacher, and he's already graduated to glory. But... He used to say, now think about it. If God's purpose is to change me and my nature into the nature and image of Christ, how much work do you think he's going to have to do? Like there's a pretty big gap there. And so that's what he's talking about here. It's like, don't be surprised when you have these things. Now, is this verse talking about um, God tempting us? How do we know that? Oh, God doesn't tempt us. Now, how do you know that? Oh, okay. Okay. What verse is it, Barry? 13. Okay. So he, so he, you know, probably people might have thought that then when he said these things. But a testing and testing and trying something is like assessing it. 
uh, revealing what it's made of. Like if you have some ore and you think it has silver in it. Is it really silver or not? So, you, so it goes through some, some pretty disruptive processes, heat and pressure and all that, to reveal what's really in that piece of jagged stone. So great, good job. Okay, so um, I wanted to review a little bit at the, in, the end of chapter three, and then we'll go into our five verses in chapter four. So um, what was the general topic of 313 to 18? Wisdom. Okay, and yes, and there were two kinds listed. And... So one was worldly, we'll say the negative kind that we don't want. So that was worldly wisdom. What other words were used to describe that kind of wisdom? Earthly, Earthly demonic, oh my goodness. Anything else? I can't remember. Worth. Natural. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... Um, what, what are the results, according to this passage, these six verses, if, my, if the wisdom that I have, what, how I operate, how I make decisions, uh, what guides me when I'm making plans or evaluating a situation, if it's this kind of, quote, air quote, wisdom, if it's worldly, natural, earthly, or even demonic, what does it say the outcome is going to be in those passages? Okay, so there's going to be selfish ambition. What else? Bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. Anything else? Disorder. Disorder. Evil. Evil. Arrogance. Arrogance. There's two R's in there. Okay. All right, and so there... So this worldly wisdom was, was in um, contrast, or there were two, two kinds of wisdom. And what was the more positive type of wisdom? What was it called? From, from above, and we know it doesn't just mean like on a mountain, it's, it's from God. Heavenly. Heavenly. I think somebody else was, somebody say pure? Okay. What was the word? Oh, peaceable, yes. Peaceable. Gentle. Did this remind you of the list of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5? Yeah. Any other? Um, mercy. There was mercy. Full of mercy, so I'll put merciful. Um without hypocrisy without hypocrisy okay so um so that i think sincere was another word that was used for that okay so these there's these two kinds of wisdom and he's saying look at what's in your heart what's inside you can't just tell by glancing at somebody um if they're putting on a good show, 
whether they have this kind of wisdom or this kind of wisdom. Or maybe it's hard for us to recognize in ourselves when we're slipping into this, the ways of the world. The world's values, what the world seeks or invests in or uh, puts their energy toward getting what they, what they uh, resent or are jealous of that other people have. Uh, lots of different ways to think about that. You know, what do the commercials tell us? What do, what does, what's the message of, of uh, media? Uh, anything from newspapers to podcasts to, you know, whatever, Hollywood. So there's these two kinds of wisdom. Now, if I have this kind of wisdom that comes from God, that is, it's pure and peaceable and all that, um, are those are those the results? Did we did I write them in the wrong place? Yes, I did. Okay. Okay. So it's heavenly and pure. I should have written the pure, gentle, peaceable, merciful. That should have probably been over there, right? You did. You guys are the smart class. <laughs> okay. So that stuff goes over there. All right. Um, let's. What else? Oh, you did some word studies, right? They asked you, were there any of the word studies that really stood out to you of all these different qualities? Was there one that you thought, wow, I'm going to remember that? Just yes, there was one for me, but not to remember it, but to question it. Okay. I'm fairly confused. Which one? The word world as. A-I-O-N, the Greek word, and then the other was uh, cosmos. cosmos. Um, what verse was... I have cosmos. Oh, it was in the homework, okay. Because I didn't, I don't have where I looked it up. Did, but that was last week's lesson, right? Today's? Oh, okay. I have today's. Okay. Okay. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. So at the top of the page, on page 62, it says, let's look more at what friendship with the world means. Um, looking at Ephesians 2, the first two verses, and it talks about the course or age of this world, and that word is cosmos, and then um, the course of this world, it means kind of like the way of the world. It's A-I-O-N in, in Greek, number 165. Is that what you guys got? Yeah. Okay, it means an age, an era, this present time, uh, space of time, kind of like, well, what's the world into this week? You know, that kind of thing. What, what was your question? Maybe we just... I cannot get, uh, when, when I look at 20, 2889, mm -hmm. it also describes it as cosmos in the Strong's Bible. Oh, it gave as a meaning? Yes. And then how can 165 also be cosmos? And is cosmos the world that we live in? Cosmos, mean, doesn't it mean literally something like orderly arrangement or something? Yeah. I don't know where I wrote that down. Oh, yeah. at the top of page 61. But is our world in orderly arrangement at the moment? Well, what, what I write about that is that there's 
Oh. Yeah, I think it's like when God, when we say, God created the world. Because the world is going to disappear. Right. Worldly ways are going to disappear, and some of yes, and physical things. Yes. I have the entire circle of earthly goods, pleasures, principles, etc. Uh, 2889 Cosmos on the top of page 61. Okay. I have an ordered system. Yes. A harmonious arrangement mm -hmm. or constitution. Mm -hmm. That's on the 2889. Yes, it, the, it literally means arrangement. So it's kind of like how this world is arranged. It doesn't necessarily, it doesn't say it's not fallen. Okay, okay. I, I, I get what you're what you're saying but it's kind of like when he says um, the course of this world it's like kind of like the ways that that the world goes we look around you know in the Ephesians passage the course of this world I hope that helps because the course of this world changes I mean like what's in now or what's the trend now or yes <laughs> and and we're not just going in cycles we're like going in a spiral because we're moving toward that culmination even though there's nothing new we're still going around like that and there we are somebody was it was it you Susan that said eternity the etern contrasting between eternal and current yeah okay all right so what I wanted to do um, is I wanted to read, I'm going to start back at 313, and I want to read up through 4-5. And so we're going to kind of be thinking about how does it flow together. Because I think in a book like James where he covers so many topics, it's tempting to say, well, he just started a new paragraph, so it's something different. So, But let's kind of be thinking about is there any flow is there any connection so I'm starting at 313 and he's been talking about uh, what was the first part of chapter 3 about something that's small that's very powerful the tongue, the tongue yes talked about that and how you know we ought to be um, have control of our tongue and there shouldn't be two different things coming out of our mouth like we're a um, a spring that has bitter water and good water and all that. So, so then in verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? Now remember, the beginning, he's just talked about this wisdom stuff, right? Well, he, I mean, he's mentioned it in chapter 1. When you encounter trials and temptation, not temptations, trials and testing, um, if you don't know how to handle them, Ask God. That was 1-5. So now he says, okay, who among you is wise and understanding? All right. Let him show so, show by his good behavior, he, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and lie against the truth. This wisdom, this this bitter jealousy kind of stuff, is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, even demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, 
there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good works, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Then we go into chapter 4. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So he's been talking about all this bitter jealousy and selfish ambition up in verse 14, 13, uh, 13 and 14, especially 14. Um, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, um, you know, don't be proud and lie against the truth. You know, that's, that's not being wise. That's not being godly. That's not what God wants. So now he's, he's kind of going back to that topic. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Okay, so up here we had selfish ambition, disorder, evil, arrogance, bitter jealousy. And what was the source? This, this um, earthly, unspiritual, natural, demonic wisdom, right? He's already told us that, but he's going to explain it in a little bit different way now. Uh, what is what is this is not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members and that word pleasures it doesn't mean oh we went for a lovely hike up to the, some waterfalls or we played with the grandchildren it really is it's more like lusts the things that you um, in fact I looked it up um, pleasures um, it's number two two three seven H-E-D-O-N-E, -E, and we get our word hedonism from it. it oh, you don't hear that word anymore. Hed a hedonist is somebody who just lives for fun, pleasure, whatever satisfies their whims. The number is 2237, and we're talking about the word pleasures in line two. Okay, it means a pleasure that is made to be an end of itself, for the satiation or satisfaction of lusts at the expense of other things. In other words, it, it becomes like, a, like an idol, something that I live for, that I invest in, that I have to get at any cost, that, you know, it's, it says sens it's a sensuous pleasure, strong desires, and especially those that satisfy a physical appetite. So... We first, when we say lust, we always think sexual, but there's many other lusts. The lust for power, the lust for um, uh, fame, the lust for wealth, the lust for status, the lust for even just having everybody like me. I mean, there's lots of, lots of things that we can make. I can make this my goal right here, and, and I can order my life in such a way, investing my time, my energy, um, my money, um, connecting with people that are going to help me get to that so that it is more important than relationships, it's more important than stewardship, all those things. So that's, that's what it means when it says pleasures. It's not nice th enjoying nature and having, you know, having a, a wonderful family dinner or something like that. It's, it's that um, kind of an idle kind of, you know, having to have it. Okay, so that was number 2237, H-E-D-O-N-E. -E. All right. Yes. I looked up numbers. Oh, yes, in your members. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. And it's a bodily organ or a limb. Mm-hmm. And it's a heart condition, not a physical thing. Okay, so she's talking about, thank you, uh, members in, in um, verses 5. Verse 1 and also 5 and 6. Oh, no, back in chapter 3, sorry. Okay, verse 1, it says, among your members. Your, um, is it not, is not the source your pleasures, or we might say lusts, or, you know, your, your passions, but passion can be a good thing, um, that wage war in your members. And so the question is, is it, among the different members because there are places in the Bible where it talks about us being members of the body of Christ. Like, you know, somebody's like a foot and somebody's, you know, like we're, we are parts that make up a whole. But it could also, uh, the word members can also be used of one person's parts, right? Bodily organs. Bodily organs. Mm-hmm. So which one do you think it means here? What's he talking about? He's talking about the heart condition. And it could be talking about waging war in your members. It could mean that there's a war going on in my heart because then he goes on and talks about, well, you want stuff and you don't get it. And then this happens and that happens. But he's also talking about quarrels and, and conflict and disorder so so he could be talking about the among the members of of the body either way um, one leads to the other yes 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 this is this is what's going on inside. Remember back in chapter, was that chapter one when he talked about temptation and how, how it's not, temptation is not about what's out here. It's about my response because certain things I am not at all tempted by. But other things, oh yeah, I got to be on my toes or I'll give in, right? I think okay. the, the way she's asking the question is what is the source? Like she said, it's, it's not saying, you know, it's the source of your quarrels between those who are in Bob, or it's like he's trying to get to the root. Yes, he wants to get to the root of it. What is happening? And so he's going to explain some things, and I can just hear them reading. You know, remember, they didn't get, everybody didn't get emailed a copy of this letter. They had one copy, probably, that came that somebody delivered it from James um, to to the the group there, and then... And then they said, oh, cool, we got a letter from James, so-and-so brought it. And, and so then when they gather, someone's going to stand up and read it. So they're hearing it being read. And, and when he talks about the quarrels and all that stuff and the, and the earthly wisdom and the wisdom from above, they're kind of looking uncomfortably at each other. And then he says, so what's the source? Why is this happening? And then he, that's when he says, your, your lusts or your pleasures that wage war in your members. And then he goes on to explain, okay, you lust and you do not have. So there's something that you really want um, and it's not, um, it's not a healthy, like, okay, we, wanna, we want to um, raise our kids to be well-adjusted or whatever. You know, a, a, it's not a healthy goal. It's something that 
I've got to have. You lust and you don't have, so what do you do? <coughs> Commit murder. You are envious, talked about the envy up there, and cannot obtain. So envy something that somebody has, but you can't get it. So you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. Or you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. <clears throat> you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Okay. So there's a lot. Um, so what are the two problems in the first couple of verses? Okay, so, so we're looking at the outer stuff, quarrels and conflicts. And what is the source then? It's what's going on in their hearts. And then what's all this stuff about asking? There's two situations. What's one? Okay, so... I marked ask like I marked prayer. Did anybody else do that? I, I thought maybe he was talking about you don't ask God. I guess it could mean, you know, asking other people too, but I kind of thought it meant, um, you know, asking God. You don't have because you don't ask. Okay, well, that's probably true pretty generally, right? If I don't ask for something, then nobody's going to know uh, that I want it, or God maybe is waiting for me to recognize that desire and sift it and see if it's if it's a, an appropriate desire and then to come to him in faith because I believe that he's the one that can can make it happen, deliver it to me. So okay, so so you you guys, you're all frustrated, you're you're and you, it busts out in quarrels and conflicts. And, and now who is he talking about? Is it, is it the people around them or is it the church? How do you know? Because the letter is to the church. And because he says, among you, in the first verse. And down later he says again, as he has before, brethren. So, so he's talking to a church. And, you know, I suppose like any local congregation there there could be people among them that are not truly believers um, because he's talked about hey if you are truly believing if you are a true believer if you have real faith in god it's going to express itself in certain outward behaviors actions i mean he's talked about real faith you know produces some evidence right okay so so he's saying you know, you guys are just all at each other and everything and you're quarreling and conflicts and disorder and arrogance and selfishness. I want this and I want that. Well, I don't care what you want. I want this and I've been in line longer and all this stuff. So he <clears throat> um, says, well, okay, there's two problems. You haven't asked for, for it or if you do ask, you don't get it because you've asked with wrong motives, selfish motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. <coughs> the, the people that he's writing to, don't they have to go up, uh, 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 uphill on bad battles between the 
Mm-hmm. That they're breaking all kinds of traditions. Oh yes. And yes. They're being criticized in Rome. Yep. And, yep. And keep from getting jobs. And yeah, the Romans might say you will do this or you won't do this, and on the other hand, the religious leaders say, "Oh no, if you want to be right with God, you got to do this and this." And they're like, "Which one shall I do? I want to feed my family, but I, you know, and I work in." Um, you know, in a Roman business or government or something, and what am I going to do? So they have lots of struggles. We've talked about that. And they used to do them like Roman soldiers. A lot of them were retired soldiers. Yes, didn't we talk about the area being a lot of retired military? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Okay, so we talked about pleasure, and that pleasure in and of itself isn't, isn't bad. Um, the word lust in verse 2, when it says you lust and do not have, that's actually a different word <coughs> than the word pleasure in verse 1, which kind of means lust. It sort of means the same thing. I mean, it's like a passionate desire or focus. It could maybe... It maybe isn't always bad, but same word. Yes, um, the one in verse um, two, you lust, is nineteen thirty-seven. And it means a focus on a passionate desire. So it doesn't have to be bad. It doesn't have to be. Oh, I was going to give you some references where it talks about um, the word members. Um, verse 1, it says that wage war in your members. It doesn't necessarily mean among one member of the church and another that uh, it, it might mean within a person. And there's some other places where it's used this way. Matthew 5.30, Romans 6.13, and 7.23. Those are both in Romans 6.13 and 7.23. And then um, back in chapter 3, here in James, uh, verse 5, it says, So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. You know, how it can, like a ship's rudder. And that word part, that's the same word as member in Greek. The part of the body. So it's a part of a whole, basically. And then in verse 6, it uses it again. The tongue is a fire. This is 3-6. The tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members, like as part of our body, as part of who we are, as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and, sets and is set on fire by hell. So that makes it sound like it's more about within each individual. What was the first one you gave in three? You gave 
gave three six and you gave one of the point outs? Three five, two five. Three five and three six. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Like I said, I only have eight pages of notes here, so we're, we're through one. <laughs> um, so he's talking about, okay, you, I, I understand that you guys are having quarrels, you've got conflict, things are going on. It could go back even to when it talked about, um, you know, you, you can't all be teachers. Remember that? That was at the beginning of chapter three. Beginning of chapter three. He says, you know, not everybody can be a teacher. And, and I think we talked about the fact that in that culture, not everybody could read. And so if someone could read, uh, that, that gave them a certain status or influence. And so um, maybe they thought, oh, well, I should be teaching because I could read and I could do this and that. So he's saying don't be too quick. He's not trying to discourage people from teaching. He's just trying to say don't be too quick uh, because you're, gonna, you're going to incur a stricter judgment. And we all stumble, and then he talks about especially the tongue. Well, what's one of the main members of the, of the body that a teacher uses? It's speech, right? So that's why he's concerned about speech. And if these people that want to be teachers, and maybe other people too, if they're, if they're being selfishly ambitious, if, they're, if there's jealousy, if there's quarrels and all this stuff, that's not good. So he could be referring even back to that. Um, let's see. Okay, so they so they're envious. Um, they they're lusting after certain things. Uh, certain pleasures are very very important to them, and they're not getting what they want. And so um, there's this sort of outbreak of things, you know, quarrels and all that stuff. Now in verse two, when it says you commit murder. You think that's literal? No, I think it's in your mind. Because if you look at scriptures, it says if you think it, it's mm -hmm. Okay, good, Renee. Yes, there's there are passages, and I have some of those written down here. Um, <laughs> um, I think if there were literal murders going on in the church, he wouldn't just go on, you know, kind of just mention it casually and go on. I think he would get a little more fired up about it. Murder? Well, I didn't murder anybody. Well, yeah, but yes, murder is a metaphor. Thank you. Um, there's a couple of um, okay. Matthew five, twenty-one and twenty-two. That's part of the Sermon on the Mount, and um, maybe we should look at that. Matthew five, twenty-one and twenty-two. course this is Jesus talking um, and the heading is personal relationships 21 you Matthew 5 verse 21 you have heard this is whole series of okay you know that the commandment is this and I'm going to explain to you a little bit more about what that really means so he's saying you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say, so now he's going to explain what does that mean. 
to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. So he's saying it's not just actually whacking them over the head or, or whatever, poisoning them or whatever. It's, it's that heart attitude that I have towards somebody. I mean, it's the same like when he says, you have heard, do not commit adultery. And I say, if you look at a woman with lust. So he's explaining that just because you haven't killed anybody, you haven't, you know, you haven't committed adultery, literally, you haven't done this and that. That doesn't mean you're all good and right before God because you got ugly stuff in your heart. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah, don't. Don't just laugh it off or like it doesn't matter. I didn't kill him, so I can go worship. I'm fine. I'm cool. Um, also, in First John, there are a couple of passages which we studied First John not too long ago. I seem to recall. First John three and also in four. So in chapter three, there's verses fourteen and fifteen. Um, 3.14, this is in 1 John. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Like that's, it's kind of like what James is saying. There's, if, if I have true life from God in my heart, then I will have a love for other people. I won't be hating them. He who does not love still abides in death. So I haven't passed out, haven't passed from death into life if I'm still hating people. For everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. So he's equating that hating each other with murder. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So he's saying that's murdering people is not compatible with true Faith. Now that doesn't mean that if if there's an accident or whatever, somebody's mentally ill. I mean, there. I mean, I'm sure you can think of exceptions. But he's saying if you're hating somebody, and then that's in before God, that's like well, you kind of wish they were dead. You know, <laughs> be nice if that person just got out of my my life, right? Okay, and then there's uh, in verse. Verse 19 in chapter 4. So still 1 John, chapter 4, verse 19. And that's when he says we love because he first loved us. And if someone's, and on to verse 20. If someone says, oh, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother, who he has seen, cannot truly love God whom he has not seen. So now it's even it's an even higher standard. First he says, don't hate your brother. Then he says, if I don't love my brother. So I think that 
Yes. What, which question was that? And change your mind. Um, let's see. Yeah. Six. Let's see. Who is he addressing? Are they literally murdering or killing people? And this is at the top of, verse, of page 60, uh, question three. C, are these interpersonal conflicts or is he speaking about literal wars between nations or peoples? And he just asked, is it literally murdering people? And, and um, which one did you change your answer on, Shirley? Who's he addressing? Mm-hmm. So who did? Well, I as we said, in any gathering that purports to be the church. There are most likely some people either that are just there checking it out and they haven't made that decision yet to, to have Christ indwell them or they've been just sort of masquerading for a while. They like the perks, it's good for business or I like people to think I'm nice or what, for whatever reason, you know, they're fooling themselves. Yeah, a lot of them. Yes. I've been at church every week since 1984, you know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's the church. It's not, it's not the Romans downtown or he's writing to the church and, and it, the church is always the, the earthly physical, you know, group is always, or almost always, a mixed group, right? There would be some that wouldn't be believers yet. There'd be some that, that pretend to be the wheat and the tares, that you can't, really can't tell the difference in our own ability. So it's good for us to examine ourselves. Am I, like Renee said, am I just in denial? Do I think everything's hunky-dory and, and you know, and I'm struggling with hating people and, you know, all this. I think so. And especially white Christians. That's a double wowie. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Buckle your seatbelt. I think you're right. I think they got a lot of flack, both from the Jewish leaders and from the whoever the Roman, you know, authorities were locally. Because it's Luther's son, 
It said that um, there were the history of that time period. There were various insurrections that were occurring, mm -hmm. um, and you had some zealous Jews that he was afraid that could be tempted to participate in rebellion against the Romans. Right. Let's bring in the kingdom now. Right. Yeah. Right. So, you know, it, it was almost kind of a yes and no to me with it. That yes, it was internal, but there was also legitimate. Well, if there weren't, why would he write this? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Why would he talk about, okay, we have some outer symptoms, but those arise because of what's going on within our hearts. You know, that's what he's saying to them. And, you know, if you think about, if you've been around churches for very long, some of the, some of the conflicts and fights have been over really petty things. People always joke about the color of the carpet, you know, as being like the big doctrinal question of the year or something. But but a lot of them a lot of them are pretty silly. And and you don't we don't say those anymore. Yeah. And I had I heard a sermon once that was showed a picture of the way the church used to be with the pews and the thing up there and it goes, Do you really think that's what we want? Do you want all of that? Do you want the whole package? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I right. I like this in. part. Ah, no, I don't care about that part. Paul said he was all things to all people. Mm -hmm. so some changes, and, and I think that's the thing that happens with aging. It's such a struggle because physically things are always changing. Our situation yes, is yes. Changing. And we get used to things being a certain way, and then when it changes, it kind of ruffles our feathers. It does. And then we get these little weeds. And then we... Mumbling, and I grumbling. Don't, I don't feel like I'm a complainer, but I realize I say little things mm -hmm. that I yes. like yeah. things would be better. Mm -hmm. And I really look at that and go, hmm, is that really That's something? a grumbling spirit. No. Yeah, no. To somebody else that goes, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't like that either. Mm -hmm. I don't like this part. Mm -hmm. so I think God keeps asking us to search deeper and deeper. Oh, I, I thought this was a very... Keep the main thing, the main thing, yes. Yep. The methods may change, but the message does not. Yes, Lucy. Jesus says even if they're preaching oh. for the wrong reason. He's excited because they're preaching that Jesus died, rose, and That's Philippians. I've been looking ahead at it. <laughs> he says, hey, I'm in chains, and, you know, there's people that are, that are jealous of me. They're out preaching like crazy, but I don't care because the word of Christ is being spread. God can use that. God can draw a straight line with a crooked crayon. So, <laughs> Lucci. But in defense of these people, I have to say that this is, they were Jews. This is the first Christian church. They hadn't, you know, they didn't have a Bible to read. They didn't have right. a New Testament to read. Right. You know? So they didn't know, you know, they were still thinking sacrifices. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm going to sacrifice mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. everything is forgiven. Right. Or, Yes, they, they were still entrenched in the Old Testament because that's what, that's what they were brought up with, right, Renee? And, and so some of these changes were, they're like, really? I don't have to do that? And maybe some people thought they did have to and some people thought they didn't have to. And, you know, that could be some of the, some of the quarrels and some of the uh, disagreements and lack of fellowship with each other because 
because of just some opinions. Now, it doesn't seem like, to me, what he's writing, it's not, he's not talking about a really big, like, is Christ deity or something. He's not talking about some big, ground rock, central um, doctrine, because if he did, he would be spending a whole lot more time on that. So he's talking about the whole message of James is, look, if you really know the Lord, if the Spirit really dwells in you, if you truly are walking with Jesus, it should be increasingly evident in, in outer ways. So that's the whole message, and so that we've got to look at this in light of that, okay? Um, Let's see, where did we leave off? Okay, you don't, you, I, I don't know. What did you think about the asking? Did you think that could be praying? I, I kind of thought maybe that's what he was saying. Look, if you want something, don't try to maneuver it and trick other people and, you know, bully people and, and threaten to not put any money in the offering if they don't do it this way. Instead, ask God for it. And God may or may not. God may say, you have got to be kidding. Or he may say, well, not, not yet. You're not ready for that. Or he may say, absolutely, thought you'd never ask. Or he may just say, that really wouldn't be good for you. I mean, haven't you prayed for things that now you think, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad God didn't answer that prayer. Yeah. <laughs> He answered, yes, he just said no. He didn't give me what I asked for. Okay. Um, okay, so he talks about um, you ask for wrong, with wrong motives. This is verse 3, and I, th I do think he's talking about prayer. Um, you ask and you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that really what you want it for is to spend it in your own pleasures. Okay, and then verse 4 opens with a lovely address. You adulteresses. Why feminine? Yes, why feminine? Why, why, when he says brethren, 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 why are they adulteresses? Because they're the bride of Christ. And even in the Old Testament, you know, the ones that have the Jewish background, Israel was God's wife. He, would, he many times talked about being married to, to his people, that he was, he was their husband, he would care for them, you know, all that. Uh, and he talked about their spiritual adultery. I have a bunch of references somewhere. Did they give us some to look at? Uh, friendship with the world. I get confused because this, we divided this lesson and some of it's next week. Um, child of God. Okay, I have references here somewhere. Um, calls them adulteresses. Um, and where are my cross-references? I know Ho the whole book of Hosea. You know the, the, little, the little Old Testament uh, minor prophet that God told his prophet to go marry a prostitute so that Hosea would have a better understanding of the heart of God and also as a like a lesson to the to the people and of course 
a prostitute is not going to be excited about, well, I shouldn't speak for all prostitutes, but a prostitute is probably not going to be excited to be washing dishes and doing, doing this stuff. And when she can go and have, you know, nice things from her sugar daddies and all that. And so she leaves Hosea. She's like, I can stay in here. And, and they have little kids. And there's this scene, you should read it. it there's this scene where Hosea is trying to comfort his children about, you know, where's mom and why isn't she here and all this stuff. So, so um, they, God says, this is what Israel's like. I just want to take care of you. I want to be in relationship with you. I want us to be together. I want us to build together. I want us to produce some more children. Um, and you're just off basically being a lover of the world, which is what James is talking about. So when he says, um, do you not know that Friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself, and now it's himself, right, an enemy of God. Um, I have a couple other references about, um, okay, there's Jeremiah 2.2. 2. Jeremiah is like just before. It's one of the major prophets before the little prophets. You know, now that I think about it, the scene about Hosea comforting his children may have been in a dramatization of Hosea that I read. So, so if you read the whole book of Hosea and there isn't a, a <laughs> scene like that, you're like, she made that up. <laughs> okay, Jer well, somebody, did. somebody did, yeah. We did study Hosea, yes. It was... Yeah, <laughs> it may have been in a book that I read of a dramatization of it or something. Okay, Jeremiah 2.2, 2. and the heading is Judah's apostasy or adultery, right? Okay, now the word of the Lord came to me, being Jeremiah the prophet, go and proclaim in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, thus says the Lord, I remember concerning you, the devotion of your youth, the love of your betrothals. See, there's that marriage picture. You're following after me in the wilderness through a land not sown. And then he talks about, you know, that um, he was uh, Israel was his first choice and all that stuff. And 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 then he goes into like, yeah, but things have sure changed. If you read the rest of that chapter, um, and what's that? Oh, yeah. The whole, the, the first week of his entry. Yeah. I'm just saying, he talks about being betrothed and then he talks about... Yes, church. yes. Okay, Jeremiah 2.2. 2. Now we're going to go to uh, Ezekiel 16. I don't know. I think I think Ezekiel's after Jeremiah. Is that a good guess? Yeah. Okay. I used to have all that memorized. Um, Ezekiel 16. And we're going to look especially at verse 32, if I can read my writing. 
1632. And this, this is, um, the heading for this whole chapter, like we're going to look at verse 32, but the heading for chapter 16 is God's grace to unfaithful Jerusalem. So verse, um, what verse did I say? 32, yes. He says, you adulterous wife who takes strangers instead of her husband. So it's that picture of, of just being a hussy and out with, people that you don't even really know or have a relationship with and you, you'd rather be with them than with your husband who's faithful, who truly cares about you, who yearns for a, a stable, um, intimate relationship with you, but you're just out turning tricks. So, so that's quite a picture for God's people. He says, listen, if you want to be friends with the world, you know what that means? That means you can't do both. Remember, you can't serve God and mammon in, from the New Testament. So you, uh, you, can't, you can't do both. You can't have, give two different things, your full um, uh, affection and devotion and, and focus and, and all that. So he says, yeah, yeah, you think it'd be great to be friends with the world. Well, I'm telling you, that really is hostility toward God. If you want to be a friend of the world, then you make yourself an enemy of God. Um, I looked up the word friends, too, because I thought about, okay, what does it mean if you want to be friends with somebody? You meet somebody and you say, well, I'd, I'd like to be friends with that person. What, what, what comes to mind? Was that in our lesson? See, I forget because I've gone on and done some of the other Where's my lesson? It's here somewhere. Well, I got to find the lesson first, then the page. Okay. Uh, yes, we looked up the word friendship. Okay. Friendship, what uh, number did you get? I hear 5373. And it's philia, P H I L I A. And you probably recognize the prefix phil meaning kind of like love or positive regard, like somebody's a philanthropist or a philosopher. A philosopher, sof, sof means knowledge, so a lover of knowledge. Okay, so what does it mean? What does this word mean? To be fond of. Anything else? Warm affection. And the word philia comes from the word philos, which is 5384. You can see it's pretty close there. P-H-I-L-O-S, 5384. And that word means uh, dearly prized in a personal, intimate way. So if you think about somebody that you have a solid friendship with, you know, you value them. Uh, a trusted confidant. Somebody who's you're closely bonded in personal affection. So when he says friendship, that's what he means. Not like a casual, like, oh, yeah, I used to work with his brother. I forget his name. Hi there. You know, but it's somebody where you have that relationship, that bond. They're dear. Um, there's intimacy. There's trust. There's, a, there's um, 
a good connection. So he says, if that's what you want, if you want to be friends with the world, you can't be intimate with God. If, if it's more important to you to be friends with the world, because he, he doesn't say, um, well, if you want to be God's friend, you've got to give up the world. He says, no, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world, like if that's your desire, then you're just kind of cutting yourself off from the, if that's going to be your, your primary thing, your, you know, your, your priority and all that stuff, then you're not going to be a, a, a friend of God. David and Jonathan, a good example of friendship where they were willing to sacrifice for each other and, and take risks for each other. They were confidants. Yes. Glued together. Interesting. Is it, um, hmm. Is it the word friend? I don't know. Because it uses both the word friendship and friend. I'm not sure. Glued together. But that would make sense because it's somebody who's closely bonded in personal affection. Okay, so he's telling them, listen, if, if you want to be friends with the world, that could, that could be, you could maybe recognize that by having, if you're seeing some of these things outwardly, you might want to look I might want to examine myself and look and see if any of those things are inside because that's more closely aligned with the world's ways than it is God's ways. So I can't do both. So he's telling them, you know, um, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. God doesn't say, I don't want to have anything to do with you. If I turn my back on God and say, world, oh, let's be buddies, then I've, I've made that choice. Okay, now we get into the really interesting stuff, <laughs> um, which I didn't even notice till after I did some reading in a commentary, after I finished my lesson and everything. But verse 5, um, Gordon Fee, I have his commentary on the book of James, and he says this is one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. Now here you, you studied it and you probably didn't even think there was anything weird about it, right? Um, he says, or do you think, so he says, you, you're adulteresses, you know, you, you claim to be married to God, but you go out and have flings with the world. Um, says, or do you think that the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. And then I can go ahead and read verse 6, even though that'll be in the next lesson. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. <clears throat> so, okay. So, take a breath. <laughs> verse 5 is difficult uh, without even realizing it. As we read verse 5 here, this is... NASB, people that translated and, and you know, produced the NASB version, they made um, a determination of what they thought was the best explanation for what this 
what this verse means or the first part of it do you think that the scriptures speak to no purpose his he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us okay so let me look at my little notes here because i don't want to do all sorts of weird things um where did I write? Okay, so these are some of the main verses, that are main words that are in the verse. Let's see if my leg works. Okay, so it talks about a spirit that has been, how is it worded, made to dwell in us or something like that? Has been what? Made to dwell in us. Okay. So made to dwell in us is telling us something about that spirit so it modifies that and then there's the word yearns and doesn't it say with envy right jealously desires jealously so the envy okay yearns or desires and this envy is um, jealous jealously okay now don't be this is um, if you don't if you don't care a lot about some of these issues don't be frustrated like gosh I just didn't even recognize any of that because I didn't either until I started reading the commentary and they said yeah yeah then I said surely I think I told Carol and Barry too it's like that verse five, that's, that's, there's a lot to it. Because if you look at a bunch of different um, uh, translations and all that, they're gonna have it, they're gonna have it translated different ways. Um, yes, so there's several issues here. Uh, the word for spirit, the Greek word, P-N-E-U-M-A, like pneumonia, and it has, okay, so like, or pneumatic tires or something like that. Let's see, I have, I have a number here somewhere for you. Forty-one fifty-one. Okay. Be nice to find. Oh, there it is. No, that's not it. There it is. Okay. Um, okay. Four one. Five one. I don't even see where I wrote it. Scripture speaks. Okay, so this word can mean spirit. It can mean capital S as in Holy Spirit. It can mean breath or air. Yes, like when it says God breathed into man and he became a living being. When God breathed into him in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. Written in Hebrew, but it was translated into Greek. That's the Septuagint, or you, you'll see it says LXX. 
if you ever see that somewhere, it says, oh, the LXX says that's what they're talking about, is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. Okay, so it could be um, spirit, um, spirit little s, spirit big s. It could be breath. It can even mean kind of the, yeah, it can mean wind. Uh, and, and it even can mean kind of like the life force. I mean, I'm not Star Trek, but, <laughs> you know, like when God breathed into man, he became a living being. So there's no life unless God uh, imparts life from him, right? So that's what pneuma means. So one of the big questions is, okay, is it talking about the spirit within us, our being, and that we're yearning for something, like am I yearning for something that's not right? Do I have a weird um, desire for something that's inappropriate, like the verses that we just read? I mean, you got like right there in two or three verses that talks about it. And so that's one of the big questions. The, uh, the spirit that's made to dwell in us, well, um, the fact that we have physical life from Genesis on, God placed the living, uh, the breath and our being in us so that that's how we have life. But also, as believers, he placed the Holy Spirit. So it's like, which one is it? And then there are questions about, um, it's a little weird in the Greek because it's hard to tell if, I better read it exactly so I don't make something up here. Um, wrote stuff down Let's see. anybody look up um, any of those other words new American right so you're saying uh, King James has a small s, and ESV has a small s. See, and those are pretty, pretty not too weird translations, right? Oh. Okay, so they would be saying small s. Another, another way that someone has said it could be translated is, does the Holy Spirit within us desire in that envious manner? So, so they're saying, yeah, it is the Holy Spirit, but would the Holy Spirit be yearning with envy? That, that seems kind of weird. Because um, we're kind of talking about a jealous husband, right? Because he's talking about going out, being an adulteress, leaving the husband, going and flirting with the world and all this stuff. Okay, so I wish I could find my exciting piece of paper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. So we're easily distracted. No matter how much we love God, we're 
yes, we have that tendency and we need to be on guard and examine ourselves. I think that's a very good point. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, he's reminding them what's in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so, so that's capital S. Yep, capital S. Um, yes, I, I, th I think, I think verse 6 should have been included with verse 1 through 5. And I also, all right, here's something else. When it says, do you think the scripture speaks to no purpose? And then there's that quote, he jealously desires the spirit, you know, that we're just talking about. There's no verse in the Old Testament that says that. No, but there's the similar. There's, there's the thought. There's, there are quite a few, you know, obviously, would we argue with the fact that God desires you know whichever whichever interpretation we think is true and but almost always in the new testament whenever one of the writers says the spirit or the the scripture says it almost always brings it's coming to an a quote now we have a quote in verse six so what if what if there weren't any quote marks in verse five and, and like Art said, what if, what if he's saying, don't you guys remember what scripture says? I mean, God, God has placed his spirit in us and, and, and he, uh, he's jealous. Listen, a husband whose wife is out, I don't even know what the bars are in town, you know, <laughs> out in the bars and leaving him home with the little kids. Where is it? The office. The office. Oh yeah, that's a classy place. Um, so, <laughs> So, um, so it's right that he would be jealous because she's violating their covenant. It's, it's not wrong for him to be jealous. That's, that's an appropriate thing. Like, oh, that guy has no business being with my wife and my wife has no business being out doing that stuff. And here I am with our little kids and the dog, you know? And so, so I, so he's, he, I, I kind of question whether there should be quote marks on verse, the second half of verse 5. And so he's saying that God, you know, jealously desires, if, if this is right, that God jealously desires, he yearns for that spirit that he's put in, put in to us because that spirit is God. You know, it's like part of God is in me and I'm out flirting with the world. Yes. But nowhere else does it say your spirit dwells within you. The only place it talks about a spirit dwelling within us is the Holy Spirit. It is the spirit of just our man's spirit in creation. It talks about that. Well, and it doesn't talk about it dwelling within No, because we are spirits with bodies. We are not bodies with a spirit, with, with our human spirit. Yeah. Yes, and dwelling. Okay, so 
So follow my, my uh, heretical reasoning here. Um, so in verse 5, uh, as Art said, he could be speaking to the believers because they're the ones that are probably going to be most receptive, hopefully, to this message. Anyway, he says, listen, don't you guys, I mean, Scripture, don't you guys pay attention? You know, you, you know the Scripture. And, and he says, you know, if he's saying that God jealously desires the spirit that he has made to dwell in us and then he says but he gives greater grace like listen if you recognize yourself in this description god gives grace he that husband is has such a love for his wife that he's willing to welcome her back under certain conditions because he goes down here and talks about repenting and mourning over your sin and all that stuff not just like well come on home honey and then you can go out next friday night you know it, there there has to be some conditions but and and so it says but he gives a greater grace therefore it says and then there's our scripture that's quoted uh, god is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble in other words don't be proud if you recognize yourself here own it and and accept the grace that God offers you. You can't fix it yourself. And so there are several, there are two or three places that this verse could be quoting. Did any of you find, and we're, we're getting in a little bit to next week's, or the next lesson, but I think... Um, Proverbs 3.34, what did you have, Carol? 16.5. Proverbs 16.5. Also, our friend Isaiah, Isaiah 57, 15, I think. And we'll get into this more. How are we doing for time? Oh, we're doing fine. Um, you, you think about this because it, to me it makes more sense that, that he's, when he says, but it says, therefore it says, the reason God has said He's opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble is because he longs for his people to be back in fellowship with him, right? And then if you look at the way it flows after that, which we'll do more in a couple of weeks, <clears throat> but he says, there's another therefore. So submit to God, verse 7. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. He'll draw you, you know, cleanse you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Remember back in in chapter one about the the double-minded person um, um, you must ask in faith when you ask wisdom um, if you're a double-minded man you'll be unstable in all your ways it's the same word he's using there <clears throat> so so that gives you something to think about <coughs> something to peruse um, oh boy there's if you think about it we've used several of the We've used several of the uh, tools that in inductive Bible study, when, we're, when we come to a difficult passage, which, we, like I say, we didn't even know it was difficult until we went beyond what, what our text told us and thought, oh, there are other ways to interpret that. But you look at context. What's he talking about before and what's he talking about afterwards? What are the other tools to figure out what something means? cross-references so we're going to some other references and I mean how many cross-references have you guys brought up just today during class anything else besides um, cross-references and context 
word studies. So if we didn't know, for example, um, I'll tell you this because we have a little bit of time. These words, these yearn and jealousy kind of stuff, <clears throat> usually, this is usually negative, which makes things even more interesting. If we're talking about God yearning for the, God doing the yearning, but, or the envying, um, it's usually negative, this one. Um, and this one is usually positive. It's the one that, that they use, that the writers of the letters say, oh, I long to be with you, or I, I, I long to thank you in person, that kind of thing, like really just looking forward to connecting and that kind of thing. So let me see, where do I write down the numbers? Um, in, okay, yearns, this is a verb. And it's, it's usually positive, okay? It's a verb, you can see that by yearns. And it means, oh, the word is epi, E-P-I, P-O-T-H-E-O. And it's present active indicative, which means probably very little to you, which just means it's an ongoing thing. He always and continually does this. Um, okay, and then this word here is P-H-T-H-O-N-E-S, phthonis or something like that. <laughs> And it's a noun, which seems appropriate. It's a noun. And it is, uh, I wanted to make sure I had this stuff written down. I do know that each one of them is used nine times in the New Testament. And eight of them, because we're, we're trying to figure out what it means here, the other eight are negative. So, it's, so I'm, we're going to say it's usually negative. Some people would say it's always negative, but we can't be sure because he could use it a little bit differently than the other writers. So it's usually negative. This word also is used nine times, and the other eight are positive. Like I said, it's like, oh, I long for you, you know. This word usually appears in sin lists, you know, like in Galatians 5 and places like that. So... Um, that adds a little excitement. I'm trying to figure out where I wrote down. Oh, here we are. Wrote down my meanings. Okay. Oh, I didn't put the numbers. That would be helpful. Um, epipoteo is number 1971. 1971. And it means to long for, to have affection for, to desire greatly, to pursue with love. Um, uh, in other words, it, it's the one that's used in Romans 1.11 and Philippians 1.8 and, you know, those ones like, oh, I desire to be with you and all that kind of stuff. To, to pursue with love, did I say that? Yeah. Um, okay, so then the, whoa, <laughs> the envy one is five three five five. 
five, three, five, five. And it means, this is pretty interesting, and this is why I think it might be negative. Uh, it, it means um, to long for, have affection for, desire greatly, to pursue with love. Okay, that could be negative or positive. But I found out there was a Greek god with this name. Oh, yeah, I had never heard of this Greek god. It was a Greek god of jealousy and envy, usually in the context of a romantic relationship. So I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah, hmm. So this, that gives you a little food for thought. You get bored. So there was a Greek god named Phasones. Because of just the strict definition, to long for, to desire, to have affection for, to pursue with love, all those things, um, you know. I thought that was 1971. Wait. Oh, right, right. You're getting used to I am. I am. Let's see. Where am I? Five, five. Oh, yeah. That's what you told us for urines. Yeah, urines. You're right. But this put okay. I told you the wrong meaning for this. I, I got all excited about the Greek god. Okay, so I'm sorry. Okay, thank you, Chris. All right. So so this this word, this envy word, or jealous with jealousy or with envy, it um, it it has nasty. Um, it has generally some negative meanings like spite and grudge strong soured feelings due to sin being glad when others have misfortune or displeased at another's good fortune that's this one so it's, like I say it's usually negative so I find it a little hard to think of God, you know, that describing the Holy Spirit or God. But I'm still working on this. I just want you to be as confused as I am. Yes? I got this Bible that has the kind of engravings in the back. Okay. And it says in James 4, 5, in the NASB uh, Bible seems to denote a good connotation for the word that jealousy desires the spirit. This one? Yes. For the PHTH one? Yes. Because these are two separate words, jealously desires. I know, but that's connected to the PHTH. Okay. Okay. And so it seems to connote positive, is that what you uh, said? That jealousy desires the spirit, capital S, which you have made to dwell in it. Yes. The difference in interpretation is whether one took the word spirit, Nolo, as referring to God or as referring to our spirits, mm -hmm. in which case the rest of the verse speaks to our own spirits lasting in envy. So there are two interpretations to that, to that uh, verse. 
Oh, there's like 15 translations or interpretations of this verse. <laughs> and it just looks so simple, right? I know, that's what I'm saying. I felt kind of foolish when I, like, what? I didn't know that was one of, because it looks kind of straightforward, although it did bother me that there was no scripture that says, quote, he jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Um, if you're really into it, you might look up the word for made to dwell. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. Right. He could. Is he the spirit? Is he God? And in some form, some Greek verb forms, I think he or it are the same because um, it's just third person singular. But yes, Old Testament scripture. That's what they're talking about, and so that's why. The quote then that we have in verse 6 is definitely from the Old Testament. And it's listed, you see how NAS has it in kind of like all caps? That tells us it's a, it's a very, it's, it's an exact or very, very close exact quote of an Old Testament verse. Marianne first. Right, he is a jealous God, and it's an appropriate jealousy. And then there's a verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 2 says, and this is Paul speaking, for I am jealous for you, mm -hmm. God who jealousy, mm -hmm. for I betrothed you to one husband, so that I could present you to Christ as to a good virgin. And that was what, tell me. 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Yes. And it more closely translates to zeal. Yeah, uh, Z-E-L-O-S. Is, is, and, and again, a zeal can be, it can be a misguided zeal, but yeah, it's more like zeal or enthusiasm or excitement or, um, you know, like if you invented something, you'd be kind of jealous of it because you don't want somebody else to steal it and get a copyright and get a million bucks off of it. Um, you know, you're going to be kind of jealous of it, and that's an appropriate jealousy, as well as for um, somebody that you are in covenant with, that kind of thing. So, okay, so um, is your brain full? <laughs> My brain's full. It's overflowing. So um, it's almost a quarter till, so I think... Um, I think we'll, you know, last, next week we'll have time to, to talk about this a little more if you dig into it a bit. And, and to finish the lesson, it's still mostly on those first five verses, and then we'll get into the rest of it. But I kind of think that verse 6 should maybe go with verse 5. Yeah. I don't know. All right. Good job, you guys.